Hello fellow law nerds, welcome to another episode of Boom Lawyered, a rewired.news podcast hosted by the legal journalism team that is ecstatic about the rights of pregnant people in Louisiana to continue to receive abortion care. Hooray! Hooray! I'm Imani Gandhi. And I'm Jess Piclo. Rewire.news is dedicated to bringing you the best reproductive rights and social justice news, commentary, and analysis on the web, and the Team Legal Podcast is part of that mission. So a big thanks to our subscribers and a welcome to our new listeners. So last night, the Supreme Court shocked Jessica and me. For those of you who listened to our episode on Monday, (laughs) we were rather pessimistic about the Mm -hmm. prospect of the Supreme Court issuing a stay in June Medical Services versus Gee, which is the case involving Louisiana's admitting privileges law. But John Roberts... (laughs) joined forces with the liberals and issued the stay. We are going to talk to you about what that means after the break, and we're also going to talk to TJ2, who is senior counsel at the Center for Reproductive Rights, and he will tell us what this case means as well. Stay tuned. We are so excited to have with us TJ2, Senior Counsel at the Center for Reproductive Rights and Lead Attorney for the Folks Challenging the Louisiana Law. TJ, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So can you give a quick um, explanation for our listeners as to just what exactly happened? What did the court do last night? Sure. So late last night, uh, the court stepped in and said, we are going to protect the women of Louisiana while you take this appeal to the Supreme Court. So Louisiana has this admitting privileges law. That law is now blocked and it's going to remain blocked while we continue to fight the law in the Supreme Court. So in terms of next steps, then, um, what does this mean for your clients? And then also sort of broadly in terms of the landscape of the fight around admitting privileges uh, across the country? Sure. Well, I think where you started is where we should all start, which is that for the women in Louisiana, this is a huge relief. Um, You know, just dialing back a day ago, we were seriously facing into the prospect that all the clinics in the state would close but one and that we would be down to one doctor, one doctor for over a million women of reproductive age uh, in that state. Um, and so I know that in light of what happened yesterday, we've dodged that bullet. Um, but for the people who are on the ground there, the sense of elation um, is real. Um, you know, doctors have jobs today and women have a place to go. Um, and that, that matters. That's meaningful. The court did the absolute right thing by people in Louisiana last night. Uh, in terms of what this says uh, for the rest of the country, I think Time will, time will tell. Um, you know, we had the benefit of a very successful case in the Supreme Court just three years ago, um, where the court said these admitting privileges laws are unconstitutional. Uh, we thought that was the law of the land, and we thought that when the Supreme Court said, "Yeah, these laws shouldn't exist," that people would get the message, but apparently not. Um, and so, you know, in this case, uh, we're asking the court simply to say we meant it when we said it the first time. Um, and if they don't, uh, if they don't say that clearly, 
or they give us a muddled message, uh, I think uh, it's open season on the abortion right in this country because uh, opponents of abortion rights will see this um, as a court unwilling to step in and protect women against uh, even their most basic protections, even the most recent precedent directly on point. Okay, and specifically for this case, what's the timeline here? So we will be moving forward with our cert petition, asking the Supreme Court to review this case on the merits. That'll come due uh, in April. Um, and then we'll get whatever Louisiana has to say in opposition. And the briefing will continue long after this session is closed out. So the soonest the Supreme Court is going to actually take this up is when they convene for their October sitting. Uh, and there'll be that whole stack of cert petitions that has accumulated over the months. Uh, and uh, I, I'm hopeful they will take a look at ours and say, oh, yeah, that case where we gave that stay, we should definitely take that case and fix this problem once and for all. I mean, I guess I have sort of a mundane question, but, you know, Jess and I sat on Twitter for most of yesterday, just sort of biting our nails and and waiting to see what would happen. So as attorneys for the case, how do you deal with the wait? How do you deal with this pressure? Not well, I have to say. Um, yesterday was a, a total nail biter. Um, and, you know, if I could have only been a fly on the wall in the Supreme Court to know what was going on there. Um, so, you know, we we fight like mad in these cases. Um, and when the stakes are this high, uh, you know, we tie ourselves up in knots. Um, and, you know, we sit there making lists of names of clients and providers who we'd have to call in the event of a bad decision and say, I'm sorry, the Supreme Court failed you. Uh, and it's time to turn the lights off. Um, so that's how I spent my day preparing for the worst. Uh, and then to get word late last night that the Supreme Court is going to hit the pause button. I mean, it just is, it's so gratifying on the one hand, even though obviously this is not, we're far from victory uh, in this case. Uh, but the ability to call providers on the ground in Louisiana and say um, the system worked the right way uh, for a change um, and you can still do the good work that you're doing um, and the fight continues, that is just a huge relief. What was your client's reaction to that call? I mean, I have to imagine they're braced this whole time too, huh? Totally. I mean, they're so happy, but not happy like, let's cork the champagne and have a party happy. They're happy like, we just dodged a bullet happy. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, these folks, more than, you know, anybody in the movement, um, they, they're battle tested. You know, they live in an environment where they are constantly under siege, uh, only because they provide necessary health care and only because they give an outlet for women to exercise their constitutional right to choose abortion. Um, and so they, more than anyone, kind of are used to this idea that this is just uh, kind of another day uh, in a very long game. Um, and as long as they're able to provide, uh, as long as they're able to serve their communities, that's a good day. Oh, that's fantastic. Anything else um, that you would like to share with our listeners before we let you go? We know that you folks are very busy. Uh, I'd just like to say that, you know, what you guys do is a real public service. Uh, but man, I listened to your podcast on Monday and I was feeling terrible. Oh, no. <laughs> 
I'm so glad your predictions were way off. I almost packed my tent and went home. <laughs> oh, that's part of the the hazard of doing this business is, you know, we, we're, we're so stuck in it. And I guess the pessimism starts to overtake us. Perhaps it's a defense mechanism. Um, but yes, we are also happy to have been wrong. <laughs> so, and we also appreciate, you know, the lawyers in the trenches so much. What you do is a true public service. Thanks so much. And please uh, do what you can to keep attention uh, on this case. Um, like I said, you know, this is a real test for the Supreme Court on whether it is going to stand by its precedent. And it's a three-part test. Uh, and just because they managed to pass the first uh, part uh, doesn't mean they're going to flunk uh, in the end. Uh, and I think the more that the public is engaged and watching what's going on uh, and realizing that unless the court comes out uh, the right way in this case, um, it's going to be a major, major setback. Um, unless we keep uh, the pressure on, um, there's a real risk here that we may lose ground. TJ, thank you so much for your time. I know how busy you are. Thanks a lot. So, Jessica, let's talk about what the main takeaways from Thursday's order are, besides the fact that we were wildly pessimistic and were proven <laughs> wrong, which is, I mean, if there's ever a time when I've been ecstatic to be proven wrong, it is right now. Seriously, I mean, I am really, I am, I am thrilled to have been um, uh, thwarted by my pessimism, I guess, you know? I mean, there is something to be said about preparing for the worst and being pleasantly right? surprised when it doesn't happen, and here we are, pleasantly fucking surprise. <laughs> so pleasantly surprised. It's particularly great for the pregnant people in Louisiana who are able to keep their appointments and receive abortion care. But can you talk a little bit about what it means that Roberts sided with the liberal justices? Yeah, I mean, let's spend a little bit of time with uh, Chief Justice John here. So um, Roberts did the right thing. He did the conservative thing. He kept the status quo in place, right? We talked about that in the last episode, sort of what would that look like? And he voted with his li liberal colleagues to keep abortion access um, open as it stands in Louisiana now and to not further undercut Holman's Health v. Hellerstead. So that's really important. But I have to stress that I don't really think this is a solidly pro-choice vote. And here's why. Um, we talked about all of the fuckery in the Fifth Circuit decision, right? Just like how right. bad it is. And this case came up to the Supreme Court in kind of a procedural posture. It was an emergency request. Hey, give it, pause the Fifth Circuit. Give us more time to file our, our petition so that you can then decide, you, the Supreme Court, can decide to take it up. So I don't know at the end of the day that Robert still isn't going to vote as he did in Holman's Health and allow the law to take effect. But right now, what he definitely did was send a clear message to the lower courts that they can't just go rogue right. and overrule Hellerstad and whatever other abortion rights precedents they want on their own, that he is going to be the one doing the overruling, damn it. <laughs> Right, exactly. It's like, if anyone's going to be sleeping with my sister, it's me. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you guys don't get to overrule precedent. If anyone's going to do it, it's going to be me, dagnabbit. Right, right. So that's, you know, that's what I read. That's my read of the tea leaves in terms of um, the John Roberts um, issue and vote here. But then we got to spend a minute and talk about... Brad McBear's dissent Ugh, here. Like, my what God. was, what, you, I'm going to give this to you for a minute. You go. 
Well, first of all, I'm going to blame our pessimism on Brad McBeer. That's Because fair. initially we thought that the reason that they didn't issue the stay immediately last week is because they were planning on not issuing it and they were providing the liberal justices a chance to write dissents. And I, ac- I actually was expecting to get an order, read those dissents first so it would put me in a happy place before <laughs> I actually mold upon the fact that the Supreme Court had decided to just let this law be in effect while it's continuing to be litigated in the courts. But it turns out, apparently, that they needed that extra time to give Justice Brett Kavanaugh a chance to write an utterly pointless dissent that says literally nothing and was one of those situations where I could look at him and say, hey, Brad, shutting up is free. Mm -hmm. There was no reason for him to write this dissent. Essentially, what he said is that because of that last minute Hail Mary notice from the Louisiana State Department of Health, where they said, well, you know, we're not actually trying to close clinics. We're going to have this 45-day transition period during which we can work with these doctors and make sure they tried their super hard extra best Mm -hmm. to get admitting privileges. And so what Brad Kavanaugh, Brad Kavanaugh, I can't even get his name right anymore. What Chadley Kavanaugh did (laughs) is he said, well, you know, I really think we ought to give Louisiana a chance to go through this belated regulatory process that they just offered up at the last minute in order to avoid the consequences of having the stay be lifted. We ought to let the the state actually go through this process because you know what? Sure, the district court found that these doctors had tried really, really hard to get admitting privileges and were unable to for reasons having nothing to do with their competence, right? Mm -hmm. We talked about this earlier, about how a lot of these hospitals are Catholic and just outright refuse to provide admitting privileges to doctors. In other situations, it takes this extremely long process. We're talking months and months of months of back and forth with hospitals where they you know, they say, okay, maybe we'll grant you privileges, but then they say they can't grant Mm -hmm. privileges because ultimately in order to have privileges for for for-profit hospital businesses, doctors have to agree to admit a certain number of patients. And when it comes to abortion, they can't guarantee that they're going to have enough complications that would warrant admission. So, you know, the district court went through all of this and then the Fifth Circuit meandered in and decided, eh, fuck it. We're just going to substitute our own judgment. And you know what? We don't think those doctors tried hard enough. And in fact... All of this harm that's going to be caused to pregnant people is really the fault of these no good lazy doctors who really don't want to get admitting privileges and didn't try. Mm -hmm. So Kavanaugh essentially bought that line from the Fifth Circuit and he he essentially committed the same egregious error that the Fifth Circuit did, which is substituting his own judgment for the judgment of the district court, which is better equipped to analyze the credibility of the witnesses, the credibility of the doctors, the credibility of their efforts to get admitting privileges. He just threw that all out the window and said, well, let's give them another 45 days. Well, you know what, Brad? It took them more than 45 days to come to the conclusion that they couldn't get privileges anywhere. So you'd just be kicking the can down the road. There was no reason to write that dissent. Except a political reason, I would say, right? Right. Because, you know, here is the man who said, no, really, I'm good. I am going to uphold Roe. And he could have done nothing, like you said, shutting up is free, right? And one of the things that really jumped out at me about that dissent is, you know, had his reasoning taken hold this time around, and by the way, we don't know that it won't in the future. I hope not. Like, I hope he remains in the minority. But his 
dissent is a big old green light to appellate courts to go ahead and ignore precedent if they want to. Right. We spent, what, four or five days, an entire week <laughs> with him right. and during his confirmation hearing, and all we heard was about his fidelity to precedent and the rule of law and stare decisis and why it matters because people need to have the uh, regularity and consistency of the law staying the same and not just changing willy-nilly you know, at the whim of a particular federal judge. And yet here we have the first chance that he has to chime in. And what does he do? Says a bunch of dumb stuff. Precisely. And one thing that I do want to point out, and I think it's crucial to point out, is that he essentially said that if after this 45-day transition period, it turned out that these doctors were not able to get admitting privileges, then winnowing down the number of clinics to one would be an undue burden. I mean, he essentially concedes that point. And in my view, that is a self-own because there are something like, I believe, seven states right now that have only one clinic. And he's basically put in a Supreme Court record that that in and of itself is probably an undue burden. So that gives abortion rights advocates and lawyers a chance to go back to those states and to figure out what laws are being put into effect that are causing these clinic closures and then attack those laws. And and Brad McBeer has already said, well, I mean, if it turns out that there's only one doctor in Louisiana to perform 10,000 abortions, then yeah, that's an undue burden. But you know what? We ought to give these doctors, these feckless, no good, lazy doctors, a chance to really get out there and try to get those admitting privileges. They're not going to be able to get them, Brad. Yeah. That's why we're here in the first place. Yeah, he really did give it up on that little point because also for those states that only have one clinic left, we know damn well that lawmakers are trying to close those clinics. So right. here they can say, yeah, nah, can't do that. Sorry. So, you know, yeah. one of the other things that's really interesting to me now that we've got this time to wait, right? We've got the briefing. We've got, um, you know, we won't know for a while, um, like TJ explained, if the court takes the case. I mean, you know, we'll be talking about this in the fall. So I'm curious and and thinking about how hard Justice Kagan is going to be working Chief Justice Roberts right now while this case percolates, because, I mean, he is the deciding vote. He was on Thursday and he will likely be again if and when the court takes this case up. And he and uh, Justice Kagan have a very interesting collegial um, competitive, but not in a like undercutting way, I would say. Like, I mean, right. they're just sort of like critical peers of each other and they seem right. to genuinely like and respect each other. And Kagan is seen as a level head, I think, um, in, in many ways with Roberts. And I expect her to be, um, doing what she needs to do behind the scenes. And I would love to be a fly on the wall for those conversations, like in the Supreme Court cafeteria. Hey, John, you know, like... So let's talk about abortion over a cup of soup. NCAA basketball's happening, but like Louisiana. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I've seen a lot of people talking about, well, you know, perhaps it's Ruth Bader Ginsburg who's the one who is sort of you know, needling Roberts and coaxing him along the the path of righteousness, if I may be Mm -hmm. melodramatic. But I think that, you know, a lot of people are sleeping on Kagan. You know, a lot of people don't, they they haven't really examined her record. They haven't really examined her opinions, her relationships with people. I mean, she was a solicitor general. Roberts worked in the solicitor general's office. They run in the same circles. And so if there's anyone who might be able to, 
to make him understand that overruling a case that they just decided three years ago is bad for the legitimacy mm-hmm. of the court and is bad for the extremely sort of partisan nature that the court has has adopted over the last several years, decades, however long. <laughs> I think Kagan could be the one that could be the deciding vote. So I think people should really pay attention to what she does and the things that she says and mm-hmm. the dissents that she writes and... Maybe she'll be the one to come through. Come through for us, white lady. You know, I'm so glad you brought up her role as Solicitor General because I'm old enough to remember her confirmation hearings. And Mm -hmm. when progressives were really upset at her choice because of her time at Solicitor General in the Clinton administration, she had taken some positions that um, progressives felt were um, backpedaling and and rolling back on abortion rights. And what they were were policy decisions um, in regards to proposed 20 week bans um, that were going through. And she had written memos that said, basically, well, you know, if we take um, a position that, you know, grants the folks who are proposing this this measure a step in terms of being heard, it's effectively a reproductive justice model. And I'm not doing it a lot of justice um, in its description. But what she what she did was was take a policy position that showed she knows how to talk to folks who are anti-choice. Right. And I think that that is something that um, will come in very handy over the next couple months. It's a critical skill. Yeah, for yeah, real. It's absolutely a critical skill. So I guess the next question that our listeners probably have on their mind is what's next? What's going to happen next, Jess? Yeah, well, TJ gave us um, the timeline for the Louisiana case. And so we've, you know, we have a sense of sort of what is hanging out there. Um, but I think, you know, for me, what's next is the fact that we've got, what, 16 other cases right now who, that are in the appellate pipeline. And yeah. SCOTUS is in the middle of briefing on the lawsuit challenging Alabama's D&E ban. We're still waiting to hear whether or not they're going to take or reject the lawsuit uh, challenging the Indiana fetal remains measure, a new one from Indiana just got filed. Like, basically, abortion rights in the federal courts is going to be a thing we talk about for a lot of time. (laughs) Like, it is not slowing down. The visual representation is that Elmo gif where, you know, his hands are upraised (laughs) and everything's on fire. Yes. Like, that's basically the visual representation of abortion rights and the fight in the next couple of years. And essentially what our lives are going to be like for the next couple of years. Just everything on fire. It is. But, you know, we're happy to do it. We're happy to be here to share what we know with our listeners and to bring a, a different perspective to these abortion rights cases. We are going to wrap it up for us today. Um, But if you would like to continue talking to us, you can follow me on Twitter at Angry Black Lady. You can follow Jessica at Hegemommy, H-E-G-E-M-O-M-M-Y. You can follow Rewire.News at Rewire underscore news. And we do have a Facebook group, Boom Lawyered. There were several people who had not answered the question, and so they were pending. I basically declined them all. So any of you who have been trying to get into the group but have been unable to, please try again, request again, just answer the question, and we'll let you right in. Please. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you on the tubes. (laughs) See you on the tubes. Boom Lawyered is created and hosted by Jessica Mason Piccolo and Imani Gandhi. This episode was produced by Mark Folletti, who is also our executive producer. And the Rewire.News editor-in-chief is Jody Jacobson. 